0: to the Dave Rolls experience. could we just kick things off by just, can you just give everyone a quick overview of who you are and what you do, first of all?
1: Yeah, very happy to. And, and thanks so much for having me, David. Um, so yeah, background. I I grew up in a, in a kind of one of the smallest uh, states in India and mm. very much an everyone knows everyone kind of place. Right. Um, and yeah, when I, I turned 18, I was ready to to kind of spread my wings uh you know and I I moved from Goa to Bombay um and that's where I went to uni and 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 I studied economics um and I you know I I talk about all the way uh, back then because I remember coming to the end of my degree and just thinking I know what I don't want to do yeah I just don't know what I want to do um and and yeah, the typical path after economics is something in finance or, mm. or something very corporate, and I don't know. It just felt like that wasn't for me. Um, and so I remember when when kind of Teach for India first came came onto the horizon, and I started looking into what they did, and I thought, you know what, this would be this would be great. It's gonna throw me in the deep end here. I'm gonna learn stuff I've never learned before, and really is gonna put me out of my comfort zone. So what Teach for India does is they, you have a very, I mean, the equivalent in the UK is teach first. And basically you have an extremely intense six week, um, like summer training. And then you're placed in, in a very low income community in a school. And you just have to, to figure it out and help, help your kids. And, And the aim here is to level the playing field for the poorest kids in India, uh, and, and, and some of their richer counterparts and, there was no handbook and no manual mm. you know you just
0: um and it, it, yeah it was it was very difficult uh what sort of like um what sort of like challenges did you see and what was the environment like because because i suppose um a good question actually would be to, to ask the environment you were used to like were you used to a um uh poorer environment anyway or was it quite con Quite a big contrast to what you were used to yeah
1: not at all right so goa is one of the more egalitarian parts of india i would say where you know it's it's not as it was very visceral when i got to bombay you can see that Mm. that contrast that exists um you know in a country like india and i had you know i grew up very fortunate very privileged and so it was part of me wanting to give back but it definitely was a real a real shock, right? Just um, and and again, it it wasn't it wasn't like going into the classroom and just being their teacher, you know. Mm. Even when we were at summer summer camp, like we spent a day with one of the families that we were teaching. So very much, you know, if they went to to fill a bucket of water, you went with them, you know. You 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 kind of lived a day, even though you you'll never really truly experience what it's like. Yeah. It helps you be a lot more empathetic to the expectations that you then translate into the classroom where, you know, you can be understanding if your, your student is, is tired and, and, and unfocused, you know, you're not going to come down hard on them. You don't even know what the previous evening was like or that morning. Um, it was very hard. The beginning of my fellowship was very hard. Um, you know, the kids didn't know me. They already had a previous teacher and India fellow, that fellow that was finishing. Uh, and I would say they, I hate is a strong word, but they probably hated me. You know, I, t- I was replacing someone they knew and loved. And, you know, I went in with this big vision of uh, the class theme is going to be about the Wizard of Oz and, and here are the rules and here are my posters and, 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 and here are the group names. And they were just like, you know, who is this person? who is this person? Why are you here and what makes you think you can do a good job, you know, with us? So they didn't love me immediately. Um, and it wasn't really till I, I, I got it, you know, it taught me a lot about getting to know, and I think that helps me a lot in my career today, but you know, who is the person on the other side of every conversation, every meeting?
0: Um, yeah. Just empathy really, isn't it? Just, it's such a big thing in life as well. It it took me a while to, um, to really try and understand because, because the way I used to approach things, especially when I was younger was, it was like, what do I want out of this conversation? and just not empathizing with people not really understanding where they're coming from the context of the conversation their their emotions and their mood at the time um and it's such a big I think it's just a big part of every role nowadays you've got you've got to be empathetic yeah
1: yeah and, and especially in HR I would say you know that it definitely is a strength of mine but it's something that is you know brings a lot of value to the business too I'm constantly thinking about who, who does this affect and, you know, why does it matter to them? Whether it's a meeting, whether it's a policy, whether it's a change, whether it's even a perk, you know, mm. just who is on the receiving end of, of this and, and why does it matter to them? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think I learned a lot about that in the early days of my fellowship.
0: Yeah. So how long were you there then?
1: So I did that for three years. Um, and then one of the big things we were doing back then was was teaching English, right? The... the, the one of the ways to level the playing field for children in underprivileged communities versus their counterparts is is the language, you know. Everyone does a lot of business in English, universities in English, anything that they might want to do abroad. E- English is quite an important skill to have and so that it's one of the main things we were doing is teaching English. Mm. Um But but none of us, you know, I in the second and third year of, of the fellowship I I was part of a smaller cohort that founded a different school and None of us really had the academic background about language acquisition you know we were definitely doing our best and we were doing very well uh, and and the and the children were doing very well uh, but that's why I came to the UK because I wanted to to study more about it and and, and that's why I went to Durham um and why then, did you choose Durham
0: uh
1: yeah good good question it it was um so <laughs> It's a very funny story about why to, uh, you know, maybe this will be the part we ended up the podcast <laughs> okay, no Go possible. ahead, go ahead. But I, um, I initially wanted to go to Oxford. Uh, and I, I applied for the Rhodes Scholarship uh, in India. And it starts with like 800 applicants. Um, and I got down to the, the top 15 in the country.
0: Wow. Uh, okay.
1: But I didn't, I, but they only picked five and And I didn't get into in, into five, and you know it's um it was one of the most difficult um experiences to go through you know success came easily to younger me, and it was i would say one of the first big like life setbacks I had where hmm. I set my mind to achieve something, and I got close, but I didn't get there um and so I didn't get the Rhodes Scholarship and, and, and consequently didn't go to Oxford. But I'd almost set my sights on that and decided that that was my plan. So with that setback of, of not getting the, the Rhodes Scholarship, I literally had to start again. And so when I was doing more in-depth research than about kind of second language acquisition programs in the UK, the course at Durham actually even ranked above Oxford. But I was so fixated on the idea of the prestige that comes with going to Oxford and, and and being a Rhodes Scholar, yeah. That I hadn't even looked into any of the other other options, and you know. And then I, when I did and, and saw that there were other equally good or better ones, I applied to a few, and I mean, got in everywhere, and then ultimately picked Durham because it was the the best ranking course. But uh, you know, the reason I, I talk about, I well, I don't very openly talk about the, about the Rhodes Scholarship experience, but it's. Um, I I had been through my fellowship really working on making a shift from having a very fixed mindset in life, right? I think it just, if success comes easily academically and I'm wired very much to succeed in an Indian system where you rely a lot on your memory, you rely a lot on kind of making those connections uh, between subjects. And so success came easily in that, in that system, but it didn't, um, with the Rhodes scholarship. And so, I had been working a lot on kind of moving away from a fixed mindset where if something went wrong, it was a reflection on who I am and very much a growth mindset too. Well, this didn't quite go my way, so what can I learn from it and how can I move on? Mm. And so even though I was trying to move to or train myself to think differently, that was the first time I almost felt like a setback where I'd spent such a long time, you know, really trying to model a growth mindset and then a true life setback happened and it almost felt like the end of the world
0: um one of of my favorite sayings is um the worst thing to happen to you is the worst thing to happen to you because it doesn't matter like you know for example that that's a some people would say that's like a first world problem or whatever but um you know like a privilege problem to have but it's um it's all relevant or relative to the context of your life right because it doesn't it doesn't matter if you've like stubbed your toe or not going to oxford or you know your, your parents died or whatever like the worst thing to happen to you is the worst thing to happen to you so you would you would react to that the same way you'd react to any other situation that was still um, perceived by you as such a bad thing right
1: yeah no so you're right it, it it's a problem really off privilege but like you say you know I still lived it. It happened to me. I set my mind to achieve yeah. something, and very rarely did I not. And this is the first time, or it was one of the first times. Yeah, it felt monumental. Anyway, so that's what brought me to 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 Durham, and then it was funny to see that the course was actually ranked the top course in the UK that year. And if I had not had the the Oxford experience and not gone to Durham, I would have never would have never known that. Um, you know, and so so much of where my life is right now yeah call it fate call it whatever but I mean I was I was almost destined to to go to Durham you know it was an incredible course I made some great friendships you know I met my partner at Durham you know even my my professors back then I'm still in touch with some of them some really great connections Anyway, so when I finished at Durham, I um, decided that I wanted to stay on in the UK uh, for longer. And so I kind of married up two things that that I was uh, involved with and good at. I was very good kind of organizationally, operationally. Um, and then I would had all this prior experience in, in education. And so that's when I started working at Explore Learning. Um, and it was... a. Uh, a kind of management position still within education. And I slowly kind of branched towards, yeah, it's, it was my first experience kind of recruiting, first experience with a lot of HR stuff. Um, and then I continued on, on an operations pathway. And when I joined EchoBox, I started on the wider operations team, right? There were 30 of us on the team and
0: mm.
1: it was a, a kind of a team of three or four people in ops and, and, and we did everything, you know, and, H- hiring was and recruiting was one part but there was also payroll and, and other HR things and, and finance and you know in a smaller company operations is, is everything that doesn't have a defined other function um, and then yeah as, as we scaled you know different people from within the operations team began to specialize in, in the departments of their specialization and it was just natural for me to to focus on the people side of operations Um. And nearly four years later, here I am.
0: Yeah. So, were you surprised at like how varied your role was within a startup? Because I know a lot of people they go in and they're like, um, they're surprised that they're doing other things within a startup, and their their responsibilities are um, stretched. Because maybe they've worked for like a bigger company, and you know, for bigger companies, you're typically like, um, yeah, you're 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 focusing on one job, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I'd never had a corporate job like that before. So it, it wasn't, I wasn't surprised and it also wasn't new, you know, in, in my Teach for India fellowship, the remit was at the end of your fellowship, your students have to be better off than when you first went in. Yeah. And and we did everything, you know, made the connections with the children, planned lessons, d- did tests, actually taught. So I literally was thrown into the deep end from my very first uh, job. Even at Explore Learning, you know, um, the, the 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 day was split into the half of the day when the when when the children were in the centre, and so you could have been tutoring or doing parents' meetings or, or, or um, kind of observing and giving feedback on the assistant managers or, or the tutors. And the first half of the day was, you know, market the centre, do do workshops at, at, at schools, um, uh, go out on remote marketing events to to book. Trials to to increase the center sales, you know retention, mm. finance, c- collections. It was everything. So all of my roles had been so much of everything that um, at EchoBox, it, it wasn't strange. I wasn't surprised, um, and and I really like that. You know, it's um, it, it keeps the days varied, but it just helps you have su- such an
0: impact over
1: su- such a wide range of things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's like it's quite fulfilling as well right coming into an early stage startup and um having such an impact across so many different departments rather than just you know focusing on one particular vertical
1: yeah and i think it's also the easiest way to to make connections with people and you know that's what what makes me tick you know connections and and watching people grow and and succeed uh and no better way to do that than if you're involved in in so many different parts of the business
0: Mm. um yeah so what would you say then, this might be a quite a long answer, um, but what would you say are like the main challenges you've faced working in the, and scaling a startup?
1: It's a good question. I think the first one that I encountered was that there's a, a manual for some things, but not for everything. Um, and especially if it's an idea that you have that you're bringing to the table. Mm. At a, at a smaller company, it's not like you bring an idea to the table and someone else takes care of it. If you bring the idea to the table, you then also have to be able to execute. Um, and so we'd done some things before and we did them really well and we continued doing them as we did them. And then other things, you know, we had to think about creative ways to, to achieve them and there just wasn't a manual. And maybe no one else had done that before. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was the first challenge some things I could learn because I observed other people and some things I just had to figure out on my own um so that's one I think one of the main challenges with with recruiting or at least personally for me because I hadn't done um any kind of technical recruiting before yeah how how did you
0: find that how did you learn about that and like figure out how to do it because obviously I went down the traditional route of you know, actually being a tech recruiter, learning off tech recruiters, it's obviously very different for you because you're not like in an agency or anything. But
1: Yeah, it—it it, um, I was really lucky. I think because I was one of when I joined Echo Box, it was to really take over and own that part of the, the business. I worked very closely with, you know, I learned a lot from my own manager at the time, but I also learned a lot from from working closely with our CEO. You know, I um, there was obviously stuff to read and study. And, and I did a lot of research on my own because to be able to hire good people, you have to come across credible. Mm. Um, And especially because we were hiring so many engineers, you know, there was a lot to, to learn and read about and not just to be able to say a phrase like AWS, but, you know, really understand what it means because you're going to get questions on it in an interview. Right. So, you know, the people helped. um, And, and I, I asked a lot of questions, but I, yeah, I had to spend a lot of time also just reading and studying it on my own to, to get good yeah so so that was a challenge I would say you know um I just came from a really different background than tech so when I started working in tech there was a a steep kind of knowledge learning curve um
0: did you have like a system for um I suppose this would be a good tip for like other internal tech recruiters but did you have a system or like a map or something for across all the different technologies because like I know for for example AWS has so many little like there's like different versions of it and different little bits that you need to learn. Yeah. And that's just like one cloud technology and then you obviously got all the other stuff. But did you have like a particular way um, that you would memorize all of this?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think f- for me, it was maybe the the range of roles, right? we were recruiting for front-end engineers and back-end mm. engineers and DevOps engineers and data science and, and, and product managers and product designers. And yes, there's a lot to learn. It's
0: a minefield.
1: It's a minefield. Um, but I think just, yeah, wh- one role at a time, the things that really helped me were to, you know, to look at the description of the jobs and just make sure that I can very credibly talk about everything on there. So if it said, mm. you need to be very familiar with React, I better know that that's a framework and that, you know, someone might say Angular mm. or or something else and they're talking about the same thing. Mm. Uh, just a different framework, you know. So I think that, so maybe doing it role by role, um, going through the ad and really understanding if we're saying we need the person to be proficient at this, like, what does that mean?
0: Mm. Um, I used to, because um, I obviously trained people as well, and the way, because I still know, like, senior tech careers who mix things up and they're like oh JavaScripts backend or no, but it can also be front end and like stuff like that. Or um, they'll get confused between JavaScript and Java. Which I think it's quite a, especially when you're talking about like QA because you, QA say JavaScripting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I write I write Java, Java scripts. and you're like yeah JavaScript no Java scripts. Um, but I, the way I used to explain um, text stuff because I I when I first started I was trying to do what you did. Um, and like fully understand stuff and I actually just found it like fried my brain so I was like okay cool what I'm going to do is I'm going to break things down into how I could explain it to a 10 year old and then not only is that easier for me to digest but also it's easier for me to teach so I'd be like for example um, the framework is the, the pad the the code the Java uh, language is the pen um, and, uh, and just sort of break it down like that yeah
1: yeah, it's a good, and I think for me, just doing it again and again and again, and sometimes getting it wrong, and mm. just thinking about, oh, you know, what did I mix up there, but I've easily done over a thousand interviews, I mean, yeah, easily, right, without even having to do the maths, you know, and when you do it again and again and again and again and again, you, people will ask different questions that you haven't seen before, you know, and maybe to that particular person, you say, I'll come back to you, but I would never have to say I'll come back to you to a second person because if someone asked me a question I didn't know I think that's all just you know like you said there's, it's a minefield right? how mm. do you learn everything you, you can't so can you learn enough to you know be really confident on that call um, and then people will ask you questions that you don't know and just taking the time to to learn it but yeah so I would say that was another challenge you know along with not having a manual for everything um, just that it was a steep learning curve uh, mm. branching into tech um and then yeah one one of the early challenges uh you know we we talked about this when we worked together too is just how do we make sure as we're growing the team you know that we stay as diverse as possible mm. and we um we did a very good job before I joined Echo Box of making sure we were culturally diverse so yep. you know we had even as a team of 30 people from at least 12 14 different parts of the world so you know we all came from different cultures um, but I think there was definitely some room for us with with the uh, gender diversity and you know as we as we scaled and and began to grow the commercial teams as well, we also be able to, we were also able to to hire more recent graduates so it it helped our age diversity a lot uh but I would say that was maybe one of the the early challenges too was to make sure you know we were a team of thirty and we only had a couple other other female employees
0: in the company so with um on diversity hiring right because obviously this is like a a constantly trending topic at the moment how is is it i I know i'm not expecting you to solve the problem don't worry because yeah if you did this podcast (laughs) would go viral but what do you think of like um the systems where because they've got it in i think they had it in american football it's called the rooney rule and they brought it over into different sports in the Premier League. I think they have it now. Where, for example, they have to interview, um, they like they have to interview uh, a person of color. They have to interview like an African American in um, the NFL. And that you know, even if you're interviewing nine white people, you have to have um, a temp who's person of color. Do you? Because I know it's a difficult one because it's like it should. People should be hired on on merit, obviously. But at the same time, do you have to sort of like force the issue a little bit, or how do you strike that balance? And and I don't know how how have you guys gone about it? It's a great question,
1: you know. And I, I don't think you know, kind of forcing yourself to to meet a quota, it, it can help. I think one of the problems that we would have to be careful of, you know, is making sure it's not a checkbox exercise, yeah. right? Like I'm just doing it because I have to, rather than you know who who is the best person for this role. Yeah. Like you said, one of the challenges, you know, with who is the best person for this role? Well, if you're interviewing an engineer, there's the, it's just a male-dominated candidate pool. So if we're really picking the best person and there are so many more males than females, you're far more likely to first find a male mm. candidate that would fit the role, right? So, uh, you know, a few things have helped us with this. One is to, you know, as we've scaled... It's a very hard problem for us to have solved just in engineering alone, you know, and we're very proud to have kind of female engineers and female data scientists on, on the team. Um, but, you know, it didn't come from kind of forcing that and and saying it has, to, you know, we have to hire a female employee for this particular role. I think what really helped us was just expanding the departments that were hiring and, you know making sure that we're not just hiring from pools that are male dominated so as we started growing the sales team and the customer success team yeah. the hr team um you know the business development team finance suddenly it was a much more equal balance where you can just as easily find a you know a great female applicant because there are so many more f- females that study that particular topic or, or yeah and then again as we began to to have enough senior people as as a base to be able to to coach and train and we could hire grads that really made a difference to um to the number because that was a problem that that i was very keen to solve at Box that you know i was the third female employee to join but i didn't want it to stop with me you know out of yeah.
0: The, yeah so what's the um fr- from your perspective what's the the benefits of having a more diverse team as opposed to you know english white males like how, how have you seen what what positive have you seen having a diverse team? Because I think some, some people potentially listening to this might need to be sold on the idea of putting in that bit of extra effort to get a diverse team because they just don't fully understand the benefits of it. Yeah. You
1: know, to me, it's just the diversity of, of thoughts around the table, right? You know, five... Um, and and if we you know maybe we just go off on a tangent here for a second, but I remember we 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 had a diversity workshop at Box and we said you know on the surface five white men could very much come across as a not diverse group of five, but if they've had very different experiences, where you know one of them grew up extremely privileged, one of them grew up um, quite poor, you know one of, you know one of them comes from a family background where where. I don't know, you know, that, that's very, they may not all be the same five
0: mm. white,
1: you know. So that's what we explored a little bit in our, in our conversation, you know, is it, does it go just beyond, is this person white or not? White is this person male or not male? You know, maybe they have, there's a diversity of backgrounds there, which could help. Um, but I think it's just the diversity of thoughts. You know, you, you just have such different lived experiences that what you can contribute to any discussion is so much more valuable than if it's someone that grew up in exactly the same place, with exactly the same mindset, and the, exactly the same thinking about things. You kind of just... You then subscribe to a group of people that think in exactly the same way, with no one to challenge to say, you know, like, hey, have we thought about that?
0: Yeah. It's not even about education, is it? it it's Sometimes it's about, um, like, lack of, like, lack of a formal education, because maybe they've taken another route. Yeah. And people yeah that from from what i've seen and from people i've spoken to the the benefits do seem to come from just a completely different way of thinking and coming from a completely different culture they would come up with ideas that i wouldn't come up with because i've grown up in the uk um and i definitely feel like some some companies really fall down on that side and there are and then also they get stuck in like a they get stuck in a rut really with the diversity side of things because I would imagine that if you've got say you were like just 30 males a startup company 30 white males it would then become very difficult to hire a female or whatever because they would be coming in and they'd probably feel a little bit out of place so you have to sort of get it right straight away really don't you yeah
1: and and very, yeah, very consciously slow. Mm. And and maybe just humanizing the example, right? Imagine that same company with with 30 white males. And again, they can have different kind of diverse backgrounds yeah. in terms of other things. But let's, for, for the purpose of the example, say that they don't and they all went to the same university and grew up in the same town or whatever. Imagine a group like that trying to forward plan and say, you know, whenever we, we have females joining the company, we... Uh, let's put together a parental leave policy. Let's put together a maternity policy, right? You yeah. really don't want a group of 30 white men putting together the maternity policy for future women joining the company. Like, they just don't have enough insight and oh, and any context to be able to put together what a good policy with the right considerations would be. Or, you know,
0: what You'd be, be guessing, wouldn't you? Yeah. Be, as, a, as, a, as a man, I, to be you wouldn't even when I'm thinking of benefits, I wouldn't even consider it. I would just be thinking, you know, annual leave and stuff that I like. Because I suppose that's what you do, don't you? you, It's really hard to, and we go back to the whole empathy thing, but it's really hard sometimes to realise that you're not putting yourself in someone else's shoes or someone else's um, background shoes. And then you wouldn't naturally think of stuff like maternity leave and, um, and other stuff, you know, like if you're not a parent, I've seen this before, if you're not a parent and you've got a team uh, who are parents and they're like, you just don't have any empathy sometimes for um, flexible working and, you know, four hours sleep a night and yep. taking your kids to school and that sort of stuff.
1: Which day of the week do you do your socials? Is it yeah. a family day or not family day? You know, yeah, that's li- true. Little well. things like that. Um, yeah. It, I think it, it really makes a difference to have, a variety of voices contributing to, to any kind of decision-making. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you just get stuck doing what you know. You know, it's interesting you said, are you a parent? Are you also in, a, in any kind of caring responsibility, right? Are you a single white male? Do you have a partner who, who can maybe carry the, the, the home responsibilities that you might have? If yes, your attitude towards a policy would be quite different than if not. Like, what if you were the main... I don't know, a single dad, Mm. right? You'd approach everything at your work very differently. The things that would be important to you are very different to your white male colleague. He's just single, you know, and and doesn't have the, yeah. So I think, yeah, diversity and and sometimes it could just be like male or female or or white versus non-white, but I think it's so much more, you know, parents, not parents, kind of married, not married, caring responsibilities, not caring
0: responsibilities. It's it's interesting that um, I don't think I've ever had a discussion with someone about diversity and they've actually talked about well even if they're like the same color like they they have different backgrounds so they're still diverse in a sense just not visually yeah Um, which is which is interesting perspective one thing I am really interested about for for you specifically in your role because you've gone I know your journey and I know what you've what you've done and the progression you've you've your progression within your within your career has accelerated quite quickly I would say and you're working for like a really reputable company um and you know obviously fast growing and your responsibilities have probably changed quite drastically so how do you and how has this evolved but how do you like manage your day how do you like plan your day plan your week organize tasks um and do you have any like productivity hacks that we could benefit from
1: yeah, good good question. I think we <laughs> could spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, there, there are a few, you know, um, and these are key things that I maybe try to teach my team, which is why I think they they might be useful to share. I'm a big big fan of Inbox Zero. So, um, you know, nothing piles up in my inbox when I receive it. It goes into one of many folders, depending on, on when I need to, to action and, and, and do that. And I like to prioritize based on, on urgent versus important and you really want to be spending your the most time that you have doing things that are uh
0: important rather than just became urgent have you read um um, seven habits of highly effective people i have
1: i have so it's interesting when i read seven habits of highly effective people that's not when i embodied this principle uh the principle that i really resonated with when i read that book was the circle of control and that has helped me you haven't read that it's a yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting book, um, but that's basically how I categorize my inbox. So it goes into one of these various folders for when I have to to action it. I, I do use a um, a task management tool as well, uh, and so again, it just helps me stay on top of my my to do list.
0: What tool is that?
1: So we use Asana.
0: That's like Trello, isn't it? Similar, similar sort of thing.
1: Yeah, a, a little bit. Just kind of helps. Uh, helps again in, in a in a company that has like remote working and kind of people in the office on different days and across different departments. And again, in my role now, kind of collaborating across sales and CS and business development and HR. I think having a, a tool that everyone subscribes to. I'm a big fan of over communicating, so yeah, making sure that I constantly update. You know even if someone has not i don't just update someone when they ask me for an update if i have an update to give it goes into that task and you know people can access and read it at their own time but just so everyone knows where everyone is so big fan of over communication
0: um that's probably why we worked so well together actually when i was working with you because um i'm a, a communicator as well i'd rather give too much information and um you know update people with no news than than just ghost or just yes. nothing which is yeah it's interesting you say that now looking back because Um, Some people don't like that, do they? They're like, why are you updating me? Um, But I always think it's... I don't know. I I always think it's better to update someone with no news than than just... Yeah. Even to say,
1: like, I'm still working... Just FYI, I'm still working on this. I will come back to you. I expect it to be, like, a week from now, right? Rather than someone saying, oh, I really haven't heard about this in a long time. Right, I'm just gonna... Worst of all, maybe interrupt Lara, like, at the office and go to her desk and say, you know, what's happening with this? But nonetheless right it's just yeah so staying on top of 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 things like that helps a lot um and then I think one of the things that you know I can't advocate enough as you get more senior is to empower people that that you work with whether it's people that report to you or or colleagues to be able to yeah almost make make it so that you don't have to be in every conversation and every decision but that you've equipped someone with the skills and 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 the thinking to be able to make that decision and you know most often if they've worked closely enough with you and and you get along well they'll make the decision right and sometimes they won't and you know you just you can fix it if if it doesn't happen but i think that has really helped to have different people at different points Mm -hmm. and different teams like be able to take point on certain things because there reaches a point where you just
0: cannot do everything yourself
1: right so having a strong team and empowering them
0: on that because i know that's you know delegating is usually like a sign of a good leader right and you're always going to hit because you're only one person you're always going to hit like a, a bottleneck if you don't but did you did that come naturally to you or did you struggle with like you know some people are for a lack of a better term uh, control freaks so they're like oh I, I can't I don't want to delegate that meeting to that person or I don't want to delegate that task to that person because they think it might be done wrong and they'll be like oh I could have I would have done it myself better sort of thing did, did you struggle with that or did, was that just natural
1: no I you know anyone that has kind of perfectionist tendencies will always struggle with that I think for me when I really if you are the most senior person of a team that you're leading the probability is you can do a given task quicker and more efficiently than someone else on the team, right? That's why you're the most senior person. That's why you're the, the leader of that team. I think where the the, the kind of mindset, mindset shift has to happen is, is the other person who's going to do it going to do maybe not as good a job as you, but a great enough job that makes that task, you know, done and done well? And you didn't have to do it, right? Because, yeah, I think for me, the gradually the realization just hit because again we we you know when when we were growing operations was doing everything you know it was hr and recruiting and 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 finance and you know you wouldn't have different departments for a team of 30 you know why would you we were such a small company and Mm. so you just run out of hours in the day
0: um yeah i I think as well like if you don't delegate things then how are people supposed to improve yeah because that's how i think that's how you get uh when you get managers who are like control freaks um and they just try and do everything the people never get put in that their, their, their people never get put in uncomfortable situations and you ha- i think you have to encourage failure as well like um or, or change people's relationship with failure yeah because you can't fear it can you Otherwise, have always that's you're you're, you're not going to progress and get better
1: And that kind of ties back to that mindset conversation we were having and kind of not getting the roles. You know, if it was 18, 19, 20 year old me, I think I would have been, I was and would have been a very different leader than me today. Um, Where, yeah, that, that mindset or the attitude towards failure is just so different. You know, it's very rare that someone that you've trained, if you're good, is going to make a mistake that is so catastrophic. And so, if you constantly get your team to worry about, you know, we definitely want to have attention to detail and do things right and make sure we've done every check possible to get something out the door mm. the best it can be. But, yeah, the the attitude towards, well, there was a slight slip up while doing it, what well, was going to happen?
0: You know? Yeah. I mean, it's good to to have that sort of culture environment and support because, yeah, I mean, otherwise you, you just can't grow. And, and then people... You can't have people coming into work being so scared of failure that they they just don't take risks and they just don't be creative and they don't contribute ideas as well. Like when you get shut down, when you it's nothing worse than I think contributing ideas in a meeting room or something, and you know that alone took you a lot of courage. it Took a lot of courage to do so, and then you get shut down, and yeah. you are like, oh, I am never gonna do that again.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know that kind of awareness as a manager, and it's very important f- for organizations to make sure. Yeah, you are absolutely right. Hmm. that leaders also have the right mindsets to lead because, yeah, it's it's a skill to learn, right? How to be a good leader, how to be a good manager. You know, you don't just wake up one day with either a manual or all the skills to do it. Um, And it helped also being kind of open with the team about that to say, look, I have extremely high expectations for how we present things, how we do things, you know, and, and you lead by example. So you don't submit anything sloppy. And so they don't submit anything sloppy. Yep. But if we all align on what really great looks like and someone makes a mistake in the journey of getting to really great, well, yeah, you know, otherwise you'd do it, you know, if you had all the time, you do it, yeah. you don't have the time and the bandwidth or you need to to delegate. And so you just make your peace with the fact that it's probably not going to be as quick and efficient as you, but sometimes that's not... Again, back to diversity, right? Like it's who is the person that's doing this task and maybe they have a different idea of how to approach it than you Mm. and they bring something to the table that you would have never thought about.
0: Yeah, their version of good is different to your version of good.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think also there's a good enough factor as well, right? Not everything has to be 10 out of 10, let's be honest. Like a lot of the time you're actually probably better off doing like an eight out of 10 job so you can focus on, you know, like you said, the important and non-urgent tasks that help build long-term yeah um success but i think an interesting way to close this off would be obviously you work in the ai space yeah lots of talk at the moment about chat gpt i know people are sick of uh like talking about it is it chat gpt or chat chat gpt chat
1: gpt
0: p right yeah. i always get it wrong i did a post like not long ago and i spelled it wrong i think <laughs> i did a tiktok actually and I, not, luckily no one pulled me up on it but i was just like yeah, um, shows how much I know about tech, right? Um, <laughs> but it's obviously really interesting because I feel like we're at this point now in AI where there was nothings... You might disagree because you've got more of an insider trap than me, but I don't feel like anything's taken, like, an enormous leap in a while. You know, when you get, like, like for example, the internet. The internet, incredible. Like, we, we never could have even guessed how big it was going to be even the sci-fi films got it wrong a lot of the time um and you know obviously you like smartphones smartphones were a big thing but when was that 2007 so i feel like now we're with these um what's it called a lang- language processing model it's i think it's called
1: natural language processing
0: i think or that's just general i think that's what chat gpt is isn't it it's got like a language processing model or something that the the official term um but that this seems to be like the next big thing and then it's obviously going to lead on to um Incredible stuff. Just you know, self-learning AI. It's 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 mental. It's without the lack of a better term. What? Where do you see the tech AI world moving in the next like five ten years? Um. Yeah. What's, what's your What's your opinion on, of it all?
1: You know, it's it's a good question, and you can either look at it at, through a lens of that's so so scary you know you know what jobs is this thing going to Mm -hmm. displace and yeah because that happens right with every big advancement you know if suddenly a a group of people that used to do that thing that has now been advanced are no longer required to do that thing right and you can always look at it from well that scares me you know what does it mean for employment and what does it mean you know the, the way i prefer to look at it as is as you know what can what stuff can the machine do that the machine does better than me? And what things can it just not do better than me, right? So it can definitely automate tasks. It can definitely do all of these things. It can process data way quicker than I would be able to do on my own. You know, and, and so I think in terms of a trend, I think it's gonna, yeah, displace a lot, shake up a lot. You know, we always, at, at equibox we talk about how it really is, you know, algorithms and AI, it's gonna help in terms of, saving time saving saving resources and being able to redirect to things that human beings will always do better than machines you know mm. relationships and and empathy and um so yeah i think it's 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 exciting you know ai definitely like you said what's the next big thing it has definitely been ai and it's definitely been yeah i uh, can't wait for a time where we start thinking about things in terms of, you know, how can I free up all this time because AI can do all of this stuff for me so easily. And I just, so you're very optimistic. I'm very very optimistic. (laughs) I, uh, yeah. And I can choose my path, right? I can choose to sit here and be really worried and anxious and scared about it. But going back to the seven habits of highly effective people, like that's completely outside my circle of control. So
0: yeah, it's not stopping. The train's not stopping. It's, It's funny. thing is like people like Elon Musk, for example, Elon was, um, ringing the uh the warning bell for quite some time about ai because he was like once we once we kick this off once it's past the threshold of like we're not stopping it um and we're way past that point now so i think i think the best i think the people who are going to be successful in the next 10 or 20 years are going to be the ones that like roll with it and adapt with it and yes there's going to be changes like even in within um the recruitment industry and the hr industry there's going to be a lot of things that are automated and a lot of things that have taken over um by AI, but it is nice to speak to optimistic people because I know there's a lot of doom and gloom out there and everyone's like, oh, you know, the whole, the whole world's going to be run by robots in a hundred years and they're not going to need us and that sort of stuff, which is very strange and sci-fi and Terminator-y, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to hear someone within the industry being optimistic.
1: No, yeah, I am. I, um, I mean, I'm optimistic as a person, but... It can do so much to make the really mundane, boring parts of my day not boring and mundane. Because I could just replace that time doing something that brings me a lot more joy than having to manually sift through all this data to figure it out. Right? If it can do that better than me, then then do it, and I'll do the things that that I do better than than it. So yeah, I'm I'm yeah, extremely positive and. Yeah, I'm just a hopeful person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's better than being pessimistic for sure. One last question. What advice would you give to a younger Lara? Like, I don't know, 18-year-old
1: Lara? Yeah, good question. I think about that a lot, actually. Uh, And honestly, it's almost like anticlimactic advice. So it's no big... um, It's just to relax, you know, Things will fall into place the way they're meant to fall into place, and you know, don't sweat the small stuff, um, which I used to a lot. And I'm really, on a journey to to do less off. Um, and yeah, just don't, don't relax. Don't sweat. Don't sweat the small stuff.
0: Cool. Well, I think that's a good way to to end the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, David. It's been great.
0: Awesome. Glad you had fun.
1: Yeah, really did.